Welcome to Out Back with Jack um, on a really great Friday morning here. Uh, I actually had a, my new hoodie from John uh, over at SOE Tactical Gear on, and I had to take it off because it's uh, warming up pretty quick out here. i got a good one for you today. got a bunch of stuff to cover, just dallying a little bit to give people time to come on because uh, a lot of people, they get the notice when the live stream starts. I see we're already up to like 50 eyeballs on us over on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook, and I, right now it says nobody is, but I, when I look at the view count that comes out of there at the end of it, I, I think that's probably just some sort of technical issue. Just remember, I don't use Facebook. You're seeing me here only because I can push a button on StreamYard. If you really want to engage with us, uh, come on over to some of the other platforms like Float and things like that and uh, Odyssey and what have you and uh, engage with us there. If you're still – I basically looked at it this way. I started going ahead and streaming over to Facebook because I figured out I could do it with a click – uh, from my control panel and not solely my browser over there. If you're still behind the wall, I'm reaching out to you like Air America or something like that. Come on across the wall from Facebook hell. We have like places we can have discussions where they won't get banned. Now, will I get banned on YouTube today? Probably not. Any of the things I'm talking about today, it, it's, it's not going to be enough to get even, I think, the video taken down, but it could happen. Surprised they didn't take down my segment yesterday. Uh, but let's go ahead and dig on into it. Uh, as always, without back with Jack, I'll have some bullet points and things that are going on, current events, observations, things like that. And then I'll uh, throw it open to questions at the end. If you ask questions now, I, they'll probably get lost in the in the comment stream. You can talk to each other and throw comments at me and maybe I'll see them. But your real questions or talking points kind of hold them. When we get to uh, my last bullet point, I'll kind of say, hey, this is the last bullet point and start dropping your questions in. I'll be more likely to be able to find them then. I want to start out with, uh, so I saw some discussion going on about it in the comments before the video even went off. Dr. Oz, he's running for Senate in the United States Republican Party in the wonderful state of Pennsylvania that I'm from. And I'm like, where have I seen this before? Let's describe what it is first. So you got a fake ass doctor who doesn't do jack shit as a doctor. He has a medical license and all, but I, I guarantee you the guy hasn't put a stethoscope on anybody recently uh, in, in history and lies about it. I, I, I have seen his show on occasion, and I've, I've, show, I've seen him especially when he's had on people that are advocates of low-carb lifestyle, and he, of course, has to pimp you know, his Cheerios and shit like that to keep his sponsors. And he's like, but every week I'm at the hospital with my hands in somebody's chest. That bitch ain't done a damn bit of surgery since when. So fake-ass fake ass doctor. And he has been known to kind of push some treatments that may or may not be valid. And of course, it's quackery to the establishment. So I, I don't really know. I haven't followed him enough. But I think this is all kind of a setup. Here's the deal. He's not only a fake-ass doctor. He, he, he's a fake Republican. The guy's not a Republican. Good Lord. At least what a Republican purports to be. Uh, he, is, he is a big media liberal. Uh, he is part of the cabal. Being an outsider in the cabal is part of your job. It's like being, you know, it's like being Macho Man Savage when Hawk Hogan was the good guy and, and, and Macho Man was the bad guy. And you're still hanging out smoking dope and doing coke together. That's, that's what it is. 
But you know what else he is? He's a fake Pennsylvania resident. He's a fake Pennsylvania resident. He doesn't live in Pennsylvania. He lives in New Jersey. What he did is he went and registered as a voter in Pennsylvania at his mother-in-law's address. Now, weren't Republicans just losing their mind about shit like this? Oh, I don't know, like about, you know, a year ago. Things like registering in a place that you really don't live in and how that's voter fraud and shit like that. Um, but, yeah, that's what he did. So he's registered with his mo- mom-in-law as living at his mother-in-law's house in Pennsylvania to establish residency for a long enough period of time to qualify to run for Senate in the state of Pennsylvania. Now, I uh, I know some of you are like, you, Jack, you really don't do Ask Clown Circus and all. Why are you pointing this out? Because what I do point out is macro patterns. You know, I started this out. I said, where have I seen this before? I'll tell you where I've seen this before. I saw this before when when Newt Gingrich was a new idea and the contract with America in the 90s and Bill Clinton's polling numbers had gone to shit and the midterms were coming up. And up until now, with the potato salad in chief in charge and heels up Harris, up until this moment, that was literally the juiciest thing for Republicans ever. Like, if you had ever thought about holding office, it didn't matter if you were a Republican or not. You were going to run as a Republican. You were going to cherry pick a district, especially if you had some money and connections. You would tie into that, and you just had a seat waiting for you. Also kind of reminds me, remember when Bill Clinton stopped being president and and a certain Uber Karen we call Hillary wanted to pave her pathway to the presidency and knew that she couldn't just, like, run on being Bill's wife? So she needed to be a senator, and all of a sudden they had an address in New York, and then all of a sudden she's a senator? Yeah, it's like that. It's all a bunch of fake shit. And I think there's two ways this plays out. One, on the micro, Dr. Oz gets to be the target during the midterm elections now for how anybody that doesn't listen to everything that the mainstream says unquestionably about COVIDs, the pandemic, about the jab and, and, and everything, if, then you're a quack, and he gets to be the, the pinata that gets beat on. And he still might win, but that's going to be his purpose in this for the left. For the right, it's just, I want you to see the larger play here. You're going to see, in 2022, the Republicans take over the House and the Senate. And significant in the Senate, and, and you know, three-seat advantage in the Senate is pretty significant. But in the House, it's going to be a bloodletting. And then all the tards are going to go, ah, we won, look at what's going to And you know what's going to happen? The square root of fuck all. It's not going to matter. It's not going to change things. We're going to do this all over again. Um, it amazes me. I'm not amazed with somebody who's like 30, thinks that, like, well, this time's going to be different, right? Because if you're 30, you know, most people don't even bother looking at politics until they're at least in their mid-20s to late-30s. I mean, sorry, mid to late-20s, right? If, if people do get involved at, like, the 18, 19, 20 age, they're really not really in it. They're more worried about, like, what their friends are doing and shit. So when you're 32 and you're voting, it might be the first or second time you voted for a lot of people. And you haven't been through this. But when somebody's 50, 60, 70 years old, and you've you've watched this shit. You know, for decades, like, let's say you started paying attention a little bit when you were 20. If you're 60, right, that's four decades of seeing this shit. You've seen every mix. 
and you still believe in it. But we're going to talk about why people believe in bullshit, and all of us did at one point in time uh, in a bit. I want to do something a little bit different. I don't want to stay all politics on this one or current events even. So let's talk about I, – I did a show recently on indoor hydroponics, and I really want to encourage you to think about that right now because many of you are going to have some extra time to set something like this up, find a little corner in the house somewhere, maybe your extra bedroom or whatever, set up a little rack, and whether it's Kratky, whether it's kind of a flow-through system, an air pump-driven system, some grow lights, and, and start doing some indoor hydroponics. And I just want to kind of reiterate what my thoughts are on what you should be growing, especially if you're a first-time grower uh, with hydro indoors. And basically, it's, it's, it's four things, right? It's basil. I think basil is the thing like everybody should grow. And the reason you should grow basil is when your friends come over and you're trying to kind of encourage them to get on board and do some of this stuff for themselves. And it's like freaking like third week of January, especially those of you that live like in a northern climate where you'd already be in a jacket today and I'm not. And, uh, they sit down and you do anything with fresh grown basil that was literally cut five minutes ago. It's, it has an impact on people. I've seen it. Like there's just something about that fresh summer basil taste and, and you drop that on somebody. And I, I want to encourage people, not just those of you that pay attention to what we do here to do things for yourself, but to start spreading us like a virus because we're going to need more people doing more things more than ever before in what's coming, right? And I'm not one of these big apocalyptic, hey, it's coming, man. The blue helmets are going to get us. They're going to put us on a train. I'm just saying everything's going to shit. And if you can't see that, you're living in total denial. And the way you counter everything going to shit is you develop skills in people's lives where they can actually do things for themselves. And you develop community, and you develop that community around value for value exchange. And the more people we can get understanding things like how to grow their food, how to do anything entrepreneurial. Food's just a great gateway, right? If you get enough people doing hydroponics like this um, in your community, there's there's not much market left for it because everybody's doing it, right? But not everybody's going to do it. And that's the same with all these other things. So basil, I think, is it's good for you, but it's also good for spreading, spreading the concept. Um, the next thing is arugula. It's incredibly nutrient-dense, and it's incredibly versatile. It's also good for kind of spreading the good news, if you want to put it that way. But the biggest thing about it is it's fast. Uh, I can grow in a little cracky setup, two-inch net pot, seeds of arugula, plant, you know, for those on a live stream, about this big, in about 20 to 25 days. It's that fast. The seed's incredibly inexpensive, it tastes incredibly good, and it's very quick on cut and come again, and it has a longevity of cut and come again that is greater than things like spinach and lettuce and things like that. So arugula, absolutely, because now we have a green we can put in salad raw and a green we can cook with, a green we can mix into soups and stews and things like that. Uh, the next thing is watercress, and you can buy watercress seed, and I've had mixed results. I've had some watercress seed that really just germinates, bam. And I've had some that, like, man, you can't get one to germinate. It, I, I don't know what it is. Um, but most of you probably live somewhere near some sort of mega supermarket. And especially this time of year, you'll start to be able to go into these mega marts 
and walk the produce aisle and there'll be a little bag of living watercress with roots on it and it won't look really good. It does not travel well, but it'll be fine. And if you take that home and just take some of the better sprigs of it and just pop some holes, you know, like a little bit smaller than a pencil through and then not even using net cups, you can just kind of drop that in. You get that going. It'll grow like crazy in those systems kind of in between your other plants. And it gives you that peppery thing. And it's another thing that can be used raw on salads and sandwiches and stuff like that. But it also can be cooked into soups and things like that. And it has a really great flavor that way. The next is um, lettuce. So I'm giving you four today. And when I say lettuce, when I did the show on it and the dedicated component to it, I said that you should grow like two different colors of lettuce. I still think that's a good idea. Not necessary, though. Uh, I personally grow like a loose leaf green, a loose leaf red, and some form of a uh, romaine. Uh, at any given time. I don't have my stuff going indoors right now yet. I'm not a hypocrite. I've got more lettuce growing in my outdoor system that I can eat right now. And I've got, since it's all frost tolerant, I've got, you know, a month or two before I think I'll have to shut that system down. And one of the cool things with, with hydro is if I was going to get one cold snap night, I literally could go out there and pull all the net cups out of the pipes, put them in one of my big tubs temporarily bring them in for a day or two and then put them back out there and they'll go right back to growing. Um, and there's a lot of flexibility with hydro. I really think that this is the time to start looking into that. I know a lot of you guys, I hear constantly from you guys who want to do aquaponics instead of hydroponics. I love aquaponics. I do aquaponics. You guys know that it is easier to learn, manage and control hydro and it's freaking winter. So I just wanted to throw that one out there again at you next up. Um, I said when, when I talked about Dr. Oz, fake doctor, fake Pennsylvania resident, fake Republican, and people believing in shit like this, and the bigger macro pattern, right, that, hey, you know what? You know what? The Republicans are going to take over, man. We're winning. We're winning, man. Orange Man's coming back in 2024. I thought he was coming back in October. Yeah, man, but that changed, man. Didn't you listen to Q? That kind of shit's going on, right? All right. And I said, but we've all believed in stupid shit in our lives. And I do mean at the political media level, right? So maybe politics, maybe media, but at the macro level, like the, the national level, the government level. Have you ever asked yourself, what is the number one contributing factor to people believing stupid shit? And this is why I also say to like, don't be so hard on people that believe stupid shit. Don't forget you used to believe stupid shit too, right? You did. You have to admit that. And until you do, it's very hard for you to help people who are beginning to wake up in the matrix and want out. Like I said, I, I think waking people up is a myth that people have to kind of wake up on their own. But we have to ex accept the fact that when somebody wakes up, they're not going to go from zero to 60 in like three seconds. They're going to wake up. They're going to be, be like a, a, a teenager on a Saturday, they stayed up really, or, you know, stayed up really late Friday night, and, uh, he's still got sleep in his eyes, and he doesn't really want to get out of bed, but he's got to get up, and they kind of like halfway slide out of the bed, and they move really slow, and you got to encourage them, right? Or the most comfortable thing to do for the kid is to do what? Crawl back into bed and go back to sleep. So, when somebody starts taking steps in the right direction, we need to treat them like a baby. And I don't care if it's the right direction with ag, Food production, prepping, but especially politics, right? When they start to realize, like, 
hey, the Republicans are screwing us too. And you're like, you're not an anarchist yet? What's wrong with you? Like, don't do that shit, right? Relax, because you used to believe stupid shit. And I have some people coming in and saying things like, peer pressure, people want to believe stupid shit, etc. Guys, it's, it's what I talk about all the time, and it's programming. You're programmed to believe stupid shit. And where is the number one place you, you receive your initial programming? Public education. Most of us are products, not all of us. Some of you guys I've talked to, you're, you're fortunate. You grew up homeschooled, right? Or you grew up in some sort of alternative education to the classic public school education, which is a government education, right? There's a reason you become programmed to pick a side and choose, in, choose to believe in government when you come through a government institution. So I'm going to tell you a stupid fucking thing that I believed at one time in my life. It's not even that long. The way predates TSBC, but, but I believed not that long ago. And I'll tell you why I believed it. So when we had, I guess you call it the second Gulf War, when we went back to Iraq and, and, and fucked everything up there and cost a bunch of American lives and did nothing in the benefit of America at all, uh, there were people saying things. And I didn't get really involved in that. I was doing other things in my life. I was traveling for my job at the time. I was, I was managing the Northeast Territory for Fluke Networks. I had other shit to do than to be arguing about politics. But traveling like that, you hear all these things. And one of the things I would hear was, Oh, this is just for, so companies like Halliburton can get, you know, contracts and, and make millions of dollars. Well, I didn't necessarily think that wasn't true, but then somebody would say encounter, you know, it's good for America. If Halliburton and all these other companies in Raytheon making missiles and bombs, like if all of this is actually happening the way you say it, overall, that's still good for America. It's good for our economy. Basically, the argument is what war is good for the economy. Now, I believed that. I didn't like, like, by that point in my life, I didn't believe it. Like, ah, let's go bomb them or anything like that. But I believed it. I can admit it. I think it's stupid as fuck. But I can tell you exactly why I believed it. Because when I was a good little Johnny, because my real name is John, not Jack. My, my slave name is John. And I went to Pottsville Area High School. And I sat in Dr. Sakavich's class and Dr. Larson's class. I had, yeah, it was Podo School with two Ph.D. history teachers. They were switched on, but they both lied to me, and I don't think they knew they were lying. But at one point in each of their classes, we went over World War II, and what was I told? As bad as it was, World War II ended the Depression in the United States. And I was taught when I was an impressionable young kid, right? And when I really believed that, right, when it was easy for me to take this guy with this education, it was my T-shirt. And if he was telling me something, it had to be true. And even, you know, 15 years later, we we have this thing that once that's wired into our brain, we have a predisposition to believe it. And somebody here is talking about how I, I, I think what they're saying is that I've, I've hammered people for believing in shit like uh, geoengineering, etc., And I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be doing that if I'm saying what I'm saying right now. Okay, you can take your bullshit and shove it up your ass. Because here's what I've said about that, just, just for the record. When people say things like they're doing geoengineering, that they have spraying programs where they spray chemicals into the sky to see what they can do with the weather and shit like that. I've never said that wasn't true. What I'm saying is when you morons go out there and look at a bunch of contrails that are left by passenger jets, 747s taking your Aunt Edna, To, to, to Georgia, some of you, so to Atlanta, if you know what pop reference that is, your Aunt Edna to Atlanta, 
And you say, those are chemtrails, you're retarded. It would require a conspiracy that every commercial airline pilot and every commercial airline crew was in on, and then no one to, to, to be saying anything about it out of that sector. That's retarded. Believing the earth is flat is retarded. There are things that are retarded, right? That has nothing to do with bashing somebody for not coming far enough. So you can try again on that if that's what you meant. Um, I'm sorry. Like, again, things being true doesn't make everything claimed around them true. When you see, you know, here's an example of some stupid shit. Um, suddenly, everybody that ever has a picture with Jeffrey Epstein is a pedophile, right? Everybody that ever was in a picture with Jeffrey Epstein is a pedophile. I'm sure plenty of them are, right? I'm sure plenty of them are. But that would be like, there's a picture, right? And I'll say, look how cozy they are. Some stupid shit like that. Making your political points. There's a picture of me and Glenn Beck with our arm around each other. We both have a great big smile. I was on a show. It was a good day. We were talking to each other. We had that one meeting and I have that picture with him. What if it came out? I'm, I'm sure it won't. I highly doubt it will anyway. That Glenn Beck was some kind of perv or something like that. Like, are you going to be like, well, 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 look who, like, cause I see that's literally what's on, like this kind of stupid shit. And then so people claim to be enlightened. People claim to be awake instead of woke. And then they just immediately buy into this political tribalism or they go all in on these lunatic conspiracy theories. And most of these conspiracy theories, to be fair, are true to a point. It's, it's the point that they're extended to. That's not really what I wanted to talk about today, so let's move on. Again, we've all believed stupid shit because we were programmed to believe stupid shit. So next up, I want to bring this one up for you to look at. Share screen. I'm learning how to do this with, uh, with StreamYard guys. So bear with me. So. The president of El Salvador came out and he said, I want Americans to know that your tax dollars are being used to fund communism and communist entities in my country. If you are my age or older, this should not surprise you. Again, Central America has been a place that the United States has been fucking up. For as long as anybody that's that's in this uh, live stream or listening to this podcast has probably been alive. I, I don't know that there's an American alive today that was alive at a time that we weren't fucking shit up in, in Central America. And that we weren't funding things like communist regimes. And you say, well, the Americans are the enemy of communism. Well, maybe not now. Right. Like, but back then, Jack, no, no, no. What Americans do with the concept of economic hitmen is when we have somebody that we're in opposition to, whoever is their counter, we fund them. And if we don't really like them, well, we'll deal with them later. It's it's a, it's the intent to disrupt and eliminate. How, I mean, honest to God, do you know how many Central American leaders that the United States is one way or another contributed to their assassination is insane. Like if anybody hates us, it should be Central America, probably even more than the Middle East. And, how not only how much we've interfered, but how much we've prevented a lot of their economies from developing into very strong economies. It's almost like we don't want that or something, because if you look at Central America and you stop believing the nonsense that the TV tells you, which would be a good idea overall, 
um, and you analyze Central America, and you said, should this place be prosperous? The unequivocal answer that you would come to is absolutely yes. And somebody here is saying Obama armed Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah, all this crap about Ukraine, by the way, like that's your next Nazi Germany if things go wrong. Just saying. First-hand knowledge of some of that shit. Anyway, um, yeah, like we've done this. And and reason I wanted to talk about it today is guess who served in Honduras, in Panama, in various theaters of Central America in the early 90s? This guy right here, me. And I was a mechanic in the Army. I wasn't any kind of spook or anything like that. But occasionally things happen where someone that is not really part of the inner clandestine shit ends up being part of it anyway because of certain needs. Like, you know, maybe you need to run a couple really big generators in the middle of the jungle and conduct aerial surveillance over something like, a, you know, a, a drug lab that's not really a drug lab. Like you bring a bunch of combat engineers in and they, they build a, a drug lab. And it's not really a drug lab. It's like a bunch of barrels and some lights and some shit like that, right? And then you fly aircraft over it so that, you know, you can figure out, well, what does a, what does a drug lab of a certain size look like with the most advanced imaging that we have through the triple canopy of the rainforest? Now, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that, right? Come on now. Um, well, You know, that was a CIA operation. That's, that's who was, that's who was actually running that operation. I have no qualms talking about it now. I never signed anything. I didn't need a security clearance to be there. No one ever told me I wasn't allowed to say anything and it's 30 years ago. But that's what was going on. That's what was going on. We were determining how to look. Now, do you think we were doing that because we were fighting the war on drugs, man, especially the CIA? Are you kidding me? No, because we would choose which side we were going to back. And one of the main ways that, 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 that those countries were able to have economic resources was through the drug trade. So when I say Central America, I'm also talking Northern South America going down into Colombia and things like that, right? And that was just an example that I know 100% that it was being done and that it's nothing new. And that when Bukele tells you that it's happening in his country, you know, I don't trust any politician, but I am starting to see kind of a new type of politician that I, I distrust. I'm not going to say I trust more, but I distrust less. Bukele would be one of them. Believe it or not, the guy that is the mayor of Miami, this guy's worth listening to. He's a future rock star politician. It could be, could it be evil incarnate? I don't know. But he talks a really good game. He was just on uh, what Bitcoin did with Peter McCormick. He was the most intelligent politician I've heard speak in a very long time. Um, it was all focused on crypto and Bitcoin, but just just someone to keep an eye on. Uh, really, really someone to keep an eye on. Uh, next up, I want to talk real quick about this. Let me bring this one up for you. Brave tab. This is interesting to me. So Facebook admitted, flat out admitted, that they they don't do fact checking. 
They did it in a court of law under penalty of perjury. They admitted that fact checks are really just opinion. And I've got an article from the New York Post up, and it says just lefty opinion. Um, lefty is what the New York Post put in there. So I don't need that. I don't need that to make my point. So let's just take the incessant need of tribalism out of this and just read the headline this way. Facebook admits the truth. Fact checkers are really just opinion. Isn't that enough when people are literally having their reputation sullied? They're losing financial assets. I, I think this is one of the things we don't realize, and I talked about it in my segment yesterday, that when people build huge followings on these platforms, which, which, what I, what, and what I meant yesterday, what I meant to say yesterday, when I flaked for a second and couldn't, couldn't remember, was this idea that these platforms are private property by private companies who can do whatever they want. Somebody said, well, you know, once they do an IPO, they're a public company. They're still, they're still a private company because to get money from investors, I have to choose to participate in that IPO or buy, uh, if the company reserves stock and releases that I have to agree to buy that. that. That doesn't change the calculus. What changes the calculus for me is two things. Right, actually three things. It's how much government money these bastards have gotten, which is in the tens of billions of dollars. I'm sorry, you no longer can just do whatever you want once you take public money to do a thing, uh, especially when you're building a platform for communication, right? Uh, the other thing is how much protection they get from government. Um, I can't remember the, uh, the particular statute, but basically they're protected as platforms, not publishers, so they can't be held liable for what they put out but yet they can censor what they put out. That that dog does not hunt. And um, then then the last one, and see, I've done it again. I've I've kind of lost my my uh, my place with that. The, the anyway, like those things. Oh, collusion. So and when you start colluding with government, you can no longer say, well, I'm a private company and I'm just making a decision uh, on behalf of my investors and our fiduciary responsibility. And I believe it's the best thing for the company for this continent not to be on my platform. Right. When you're colluding with government, when you're picking a side with government, when you're literally coordinating with active political campaigns and then you censor counter information, this whole private company argument that that some of my fellow anarcho uh, anarcho capitalists like to point out no longer holds water because you're not a private company anymore. But I just want to point that out, that Facebook has admitted in a court of law they don't do fact-checking, they have an opinion, and they enforce the opinion. And some of you are sitting over there right now on Facebook listening to me, and I'm going, you do know you have alternatives, right? You can stop backing this cabal if you choose to. Just something, you know, you, you might want to consider. Uh, and, of course, we are sitting here on YouTube. We're also on Float. Uh, and we will be up this, this video will get on Odyssey. So if YouTube ever nukes me, you know, I have a backup. Uh, I would really like some of my fellow content creators who are not on Odyssey to get on Odyssey. I, I think that would be a good idea. And the reason I want them to do it is I don't want them to ever lose all of the things that they've built. And this is a perfect example. He hasn't lost everything yet, but he did just lose this. So. One of my favorite people really is Joe Rogan. I don't listen to all his shows. Uh, I do a long format. He does like a double long. He does like twice the, the format that I do as far as a daily show uh, in time. And so that's a lot of time to give up. But yet he has like the biggest podcast audience in the world. 
and he'll go anywhere with subjects that he thinks his audience will find interesting, and he's not afraid. And he seems like he's gotten more and more in line with the concept of, hey, look, there's some bullshit going on around COVID, and there's some bullshit going on in the mainstream media, and there's some bullshit going on in government. And I think he told one of the guys over on MSNBC or CNN, you're supposed to be a fucking journalist, and you're not. Like, like he's he's gotten out there. And he brought this guy on, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. McCullough is not like some super anti-jab guy, right? He's not like, you know, nobody should get it. He's not a, he's not a David Icke type or something like that. But what he did is a really great, thoughtful three-hour interview, two hours and 50-odd minutes, typical for Rogan. And he laid out a very scientific case. Everything that he said happened or everything that he claimed was backed by studies. He cited every single thing he claimed with a legitimate scientific study saying this was the case or saying in this country they did X, Y, and Z and they experienced the result of Y, right, or whatever it is, or ABC, and then was able to cite it. He even says a couple times during the interview, because the fact checkers are going to be on this, as though he was going to get a fair shake. Poor guy, naive enough to believe that. Uh, and Dr. McCullough is not who we're talking about. I have a totally different opinion of him, by the way. Um, like him and don't like him, same time. Uh, this is McCullough, not Mercola, Dr. Peter A. McCullough. And this guy is one of the most switched on people. This was an incredible, incredible interview, incredibly informative, something you should hear. But Joe Rogan has no plan B which I think is a mistake. I think it's a huge mistake. So this this uh, video was uploaded to YouTube. It didn't make it a day, and YouTube took it down. Well, guess who got a copy of that video? Me. Yeah, your friendly redneck duck farmer. I got a copy of that video. Guess who put a copy of that video up on Odyssey? That same guy, me, guilty. I, I, I put the copy up on Odyssey. And... Uh, that means you can now get over to my Odyssey channel and, and you can, you can see that, that video. And as I said yesterday, when, when these platforms either completely deep platform someone, and I, I don't know if they can get away with that with Rogan. He's got enough money. The lawsuit they might get on a full deplatforming might be extreme. It also might, might be interesting if they're taking his videos down and someone kept, uh, track of the strikes and the, the time thing where you're supposed to get deplatformed and it doesn't happen. Are they giving him preferential treatment even though they're attacking him? And does that mean they're being unfair to others? Does it matter? I don't think it does. It's just an interesting observation. But no matter who you are, if you're a content creator, you need to have backups. And I like Odyssey because I know the people behind it. I like Odyssey because it's on a blockchain. But the biggest reason I like Odyssey is they have automatic uh, import and it works and it works. And David's saying Joe's on Spotify and yeah, they're not woke. They won't ever eventually turn on him. Right. And, and what I'm talking about here though, let's just be clear where I'm at in this lane for, for this discussion. If you're on YouTube and you venture one millimeter off the reservation of what YouTube says is okay which changes all the time, is completely subject to their fact checkers, who are also just like Facebook's fact checkers, opinion enforcers. 
you run the risk that your entire catalog of content will in one day, with no warning and no recourse, vanish and be gone by setting up an Odyssey account. And this is why you need to talk to any content creator you watch on YouTube that you like and you don't ever want to go away. It will take them 10 minutes to set it up. You don't have to have any technical knowledge. If you can set up a YouTube account, you can set up an Odyssey account. And once it's set up, all the videos that they already have on YouTube over the next you know, couple days to a few hours, depending on how many there are, will import and be duplicated. Okay? And then every time they put out a video, like this video right now, it's a live stream. There's still a risk it could be lost because when you do live streaming on YouTube, it's not the same as uploading a video. It takes time for the video to fully render on the back end and be basically published as an MPEG-4. When you watch this video, like when I finish this stream, this is something a lot of people I think are unaware of, even YouTube creators. When you finish this video and you decide, I want to go, like I came in in the middle, I want to go back and watch the beginning. At some point, you're not watching, watching the rendered out file. You're watching a replay of the stream until it's fully done. And then it goes like, then at that point, it becomes as if I uploaded it. So when you do live streaming, that import over to Odyssey will take a day to a day and a half, depending on the length of the video. But once that's done, it's done. And if YouTube takes it down, it's gone. It's not gone. It still exists. And as a creator, if you have your entire archive, right, if you have your entire archive imported and you have it done on an ongoing basis, you can't have happen to you what happened to, for, for instance, uh, who here is familiar with Stefan Molnil? Stefan had over 10 years of video content. Some of it was really insightful. Some of it I thought was crap, but some of it was really insightful. And even what I didn't like, like, you have a right to see it, and he has a right for it to be preserved because there was a deal that was made when all of this shit on ScrewTube started. But had he had an Odyssey account, basically his life's work couldn't have been deleted in a second. Please make sure, you know, we're preppers, right? So two is one and one is none. If all your content is on YouTube and Facebook, you might as well have one. Because what happened, what happened to Stefan? What happened to some of these other big uh, uh, platform, uh, big uh, content creators? Do you remember? Like there was a day that was like the day of long knives or something where they got them all at once. They de they deplatformed them across the board. So clearly somebody at ScrewTube, Google, right, Gulag, Somebody at Shitter and somebody at Facebook are all talking together and going, hey, let's just shut these guys off. You've got to have a, a, a plan B, a C, and a D. Uh, a lot of people have told me about BitChute. You know, I set up an account there. I set up the import. It doesn't work. Like, I use things that work. If it works, I'll turn that on. I'll turn every single video backup site on that will work where I can put it in one place and it goes everywhere. But you got to make it work, guys. That's That's kind of how I feel. Uh, on that. Yeah, Stefan did some really good work. And then there's some other things maybe, you know, are, are not so, uh, not so, uh, maybe you wouldn't find them to be as interesting. I'll just put it at that because everybody has different opinions about what you like. Not everybody likes everything. You know, everybody here doesn't necessarily like everything I do. I do want to talk about the crypto bloodbath for a minute. I don't really see it as a bloodbath. Um, I don't know where we're at this second, but when I checked this morning, if you went into Bitcoin one year ago today and after the bloodbath, you'd be up 106% over 12 months, 106% over 12 months. If you had any kind of decent, um, 
investment manager and you went and complained that over a 12 month period, your assets were only up under 112%, he would probably fire you. Uh, and what I think people really need to look at with what's going on right now is exactly what I said would happen in September. And by the way, we're at our last bullet point. So if you have questions, if you have things you want me to comment on, all caps now, because I'll wrap this up quick and I'll start looking through and we'll start talking to each other instead of me just talking at you. But I said in September, in October, we will get a Bitcoin ETF. I said this, right? And when we get that Bitcoin ETF, it will not be a spot ETF. Do you guys remember this when I said this? It's going to be a futures ETF. And they're going to come up with some bullshit as to why it has to be a futures ETF, which is total nonsense. If Canada can have a spot ETF, if Europe can have a spot ETF for Bitcoin, we can too. And I explain what a futures ETF is, where you you go out and basically you're investing in futures contracts, either short or long, depending on what you're doing. And they're going to use all this money that will pour in because it's going to open a wall of money. There's a lot of people who want to get in on crypto, but the, the real money they have is chartered in some way. One way it can be chartered is you're in an investment group that's private, but you still have a charter of what you can do with the money. But the other way can be that you just have like a, you know, an IRA. And if it's an ETF, you can buy it. And if it's not, you can't, right? If it's not a stock or an ETF or a physical thing, like you can do Bitcoin in an IRA, but it's a little bit complicated. And there's a lot of boomers out there with a lot of money that want Bitcoin, but they don't know how to do it. But if you give them an ETF, they'll buy it. So what they would do is they would open up this futures ETF. It would create immense volatility and it wouldn't be a one. It would be multiple futures ETFs. And it was going to be done simply so that all of the people with huge amounts of money that can buy Bitcoin whenever they want that missed out on this, the, the, the acceptance that this is here to stay could use those futures to drive down the price to create massive volatility going forward so that they could grab the bottom until they finally have to go ahead and approve a spot ETF. And then once they approve the spot ETF, it's done. It's over. You can't stop it at that point. It's going to go through the roof and it's never going to stop. And they know that's going to happen, so they got to hold it back. That's what's going on right now, guys. That's what's going on. Because these ETFs, do you know what they did? Do you know they, they have what's called a prospectus, right? They, they, they have what's called a prospectus. When you invest in an ETF, generally people buy it with no idea what it really is. And then in the mail sometime soon after that will come a really thick book that costs a lot of wasted money to produce. It should be sent to you electronically if you want to read it. But in that perspective, these ETFs have actually stated when they're, the dates, like on the 28th of the month or whatever, will be when the contracts are executed. So all the futures investors already know what all this big money is going to do before they do it. And now that they put it to print, they have to do it. And that's kind of what they were forced to do to get the ETFs approved by the FTC. Do you see the little incestuous grab-ass going on here? And that's why all it is, every time you see a big dip, buy some Bitcoin. That's all I'm going to say on that. Let's, uh, let's look at some questions here that we have from the audience. How risky is a stable coin, USDC, stored in a place like Celsius paying 10% returns? compared to, say, a mutual fund or a treasury CD? I would say not really much more so. Um, now, I don't know the exact plan you're in, but making 10% on a stable coin, 
That's the 10% interest rate on your, on your dollars. If you have money you want to hold in dollars, there's not a lot of places you could do better than that right now, and it's probably fairly secure. I think one thing people need to understand when I say I don't want to hold crypto on an exchange is the risk is the government itself, that you could be targeted for asset seizure, And if they go to Celsius and they say, we have a, you know, piece of paper that says you're supposed to do this with Ryan Schultz's account, that Celsius is going to do it. That, that's, that's the risk that you now have the money publicly accessible. There's some other custodian involved. Now I have heard that there are arrangements like this where you still hold your own keys. Well, this is my problem with that. This is my problem with that claim. You're collateralizing the money in a way that it has to be accessible to another party. That's the only way you get interest. So that money has to be available to the custodian that acts as an intermediary between the two parties. Even in a decentralized or DeFi situation, there's some entity, there's some DAO, there's some some software that's making sure that that money is available because if it's not available... To, and basically, most of that's being loaned to traders on margin uh, as short-term debt. That, that money's actually there and accessible. So maybe you're holding the keys, but maybe they are too. I'm not really sure. Um, let's see here. Jesse says, will the Fed raise rates or will the government do price controls instead? Uh, yes. I expect to see pricing and capital controls uh, come out next year heavily. We've already had capital controls seeping in, little things that generally the person that, you know, is worth a couple hundred grand or less doesn't notice. You don't do a lot of international business or something like that. You haven't noticed the capital controls that have been eking in since the Bush administration. Um, but you're going to see more of that that will affect more regular folks, if you want to put it that way. And the Fed's going to raise the rates because Fed has to raise the rates. Now, here's the problem with that. Fed raises the rates enough, they go into insolvency because we can't manage our own debt. Well, then the only solution is to print more debt with no and go to the lender of last resort, which becomes worse. And it becomes this like black hole spiral. And we are going to have and I've been saying this since 08 somewhere in this shit. We are going to have a financial reset. Now, I'm not talking about Satan Klaus and, and the, 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 the great reset, though, this could be part of it. But I'm not it's not that macro. It's more just in the U.S. dollar world. We are going to have to reset the United States dollar somehow, whether that's the issuance. And I think this is the, the, the play right now. Grab the stable coins, drag them into FDIC, globalize the dollar on something akin to lightning for Bitcoin. Make the dollar weightless 24-7, able to go anywhere in the world with anybody that has an electronic device and uh, uh, an app. Whether their government wants them to be able to use the dollar or not, enable that. Spread the U.S. monetary M3 far more globally than it is now. And counter inflation, counter inflation by having more people hold the excessive dollars So it's got a larger economy, and that counters the inflation. That's the plan. Now, when I said that last week, I got people telling me I was stupid. I didn't say it would work, right? I didn't say it would work, and what I really didn't say is it would work long term. 
But these people aren't as stupid as we think they are. And it's freaking Billy Roy. And, and it is very possible that what they'll do is this is some interim fix. It is possible. I know people think this, they're going to think I'm crazy as shit when I say this. It is possible that the U.S. dollar will turn to either a gold back currency again. It will turn to possibly a Bitcoin back currency. And there's a little piece of me that believes they might turn to a gold and Bitcoin backed currency. And they don't have to make it official policy for it to be the case. In other words, they don't have to go back to the way it was before the Federal Reserve was put in place. They don't have to go back to you got a $20 bill and it says it is redeemable at a bank for $20 in gold. They don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be that kind of backing. All they have to do is put it on the balance sheet. And for all you know, they're already doing it. Remember, we just had 193 new whale addresses. There always is a possibility. I don't know what's bigger than a whale. A mega whale? A dinosaur whale, right? There's always a possibility when you see like 20 new whale addresses that they're really 20 addresses of one super whale. And that could be a central government or a central bank. And if I was the Federal Reserve right now, given that I can print money on demand, I just want you to ask yourself a question. If you could print money on demand, how much Bitcoin would you buy? Like you can print money and you don't actually have to pay it back. You can print money to pay back the money you already printed. You literally had a dollar printer in your house that goes burnt. And you could go, I want a million dollars today. How much Bitcoin would you buy? And people say, well, their, their, their balance sheet is public. Okay. So the member balance, the member banks balance sheets are public. Is that what you're saying? Really? Cause they're not. The Fed's balance sheet is public and what they choose to let you. And can't we be doing some things under the auspices of um, national security? Me so think we need a national security for the chancellor, right? Like we have to have national. Like we can't have the Russians and the Chinese and, uh, uh, you know, all these other countries know that maybe we're. I'm not saying it's happened. I'm saying it's, it's highly likely. Uh, what happened to your BTC at 100K by the end of the year prediction? I think I got it wrong. I still think in this cycle, Bitcoin breaks 100K. It just takes a little longer. I'm not so sure it can't still happen. I'm not so sure it can't still happen. You, you have to look at what's going on here with, with Bitcoin. Generally, when you see a big drop in price, and again, we're talking about an asset that's still up 106% over 12 months. It, it, it doesn't really find a floor this strong. It doesn't find a floor that's 100% higher than it was 12 months ago. And it's all being bought. It's all being bought. And a lot of it is being bought by big money. If you just start Google uh, Bitcoin institutionalization and find the articles that came out around like analyzing on-chain analysis of what's been going on for the past two months, we can look at certain purchases and we can say, this is not somebody that flopped their Ethereum into Bitcoin. This is somebody that bought half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. We don't know who they are, but they had a half a billion dollars to do it with. 
Does your neighbor have a half a billion dollars? Does your neighbor have a hundred million dollars? Right? It's not just MicroStrategy and El Salvador that have been buying the dip, guys. Like, so I think I just got the timeline wrong, which, you know, I always reserve the right way to be wrong, or the right to be wrong. Wavehead says future ETF was guaranteed to cause this sell-off. Absolutely, dude. Hey, by the way, I sent you an email, Wavehead. Are you going to fill out the form, bro? Everybody says you're the man to talk about NFTs. I would love to have you on the show to talk about NFTs. Uh, but yeah, Wavehead's dead on about that. Um, 05M something something says, did you have a difficult time when you stopped drinking heavily and what did you do that helped? I did not. And I did think that maybe I would and I just didn't. And I would say for like the first week, what I did is I still drank. When I say I drank less though, I actually mean it. What I mean is I'd have, I'd go a full day, nothing to drink. Alcohol we're talking here, including, you know, after work. Cause my ritual had become, I get done with work for the day. If it's three o'clock, if it's four o'clock, it's five, if it's two thirty, whenever it was, it's a drink. That's, that's where you start to know you're having a problem when you start doing that all the time out of habit. And so for about a week, what I did is I waited till after dinner and I would make one drink and I had a drink for about a week and then I just quit. And I, I didn't drink other than, you know, occasionally at a restaurant or something like that. Usually even at a restaurant, I didn't. I didn't really drink anything for about 90 days. And that's long enough to break a cycle. Now, if you have a, if you have an emotional thing driving alcoholism, I think you might need ongoing 12 step program, never drink again. And if that's you, then you got to do that even if you don't like what it means. But what I did is I replaced the habit. So I discovered LaCroix and all these different flavored sparkling waters because I did keto at the same time I was doing this, by the way, which I think really helped. Like losing weight and seeing progress at the same time of also being clear. And so whenever I wanted to drink, I would just go fill a rocks glass and pour sparkling water on it and drink it. And if I wasn't happy about it, I just did it anyway. And what I realized is part of why I was drinking so much is I had this habit, this habitual. It was less an addiction and more a habit. So I think you got to figure that out for yourself. But that's that's what I did. And I'm not saying it will work for everybody. Um Eric says, how are they holding BTC back? This is required, like to really explain this in depth would require a really long answer. But it's what we've been talking about with these futures ETFs. You have to understand what's going on here. You're basically buying, with a future contract, you're buying an obligation. And you have an obligation to execute at the end of that or to let it wash. And it causes a specific amount of a given commodity to be sold off to cover the other side of the deal. And futures traders are generally not trying to make the kind of money that we think of in crypto. They're trying to make 15 to 20% per quarter, which is a really good return. Now, if you're telling your competitors exactly how you're going to do it, that becomes very difficult to do. But you still, that's what you're trying to do. So if I'm a futures trader and I can make 15% on my money or my client's money, by driving down the price this quarter, well, that's what I'm going to do. And if I can make it by driving up the price, that's what I can, I'm going to do. And if I can artificially short-term drive up the price, clear my position, and then that creates a drop, that's just another opportunity for me on the other side. Now, you and me and your neighbors, we don't move enough capital to have that much influence. But if all of us have our money pooled and, and a guy that does that is controlling that as an active management ETF, which a future uh, ETF is, 
then all of a sudden you have the ability to manipulate a market, even a multi-billion or trillion dollar market, especially in these short-term swings. And let's be honest, like there's a lot of speculative value in any cryptocurrency, right? So any asset that's traded like this is going to have future pricing to some degree priced in. And when that gets called out on the end with enough money, you drive the price down. It's not really holding it back. Holding it back would be you're like if you want to see something that's been held back doing this, which is a lot easier to manipulate because there's a lot more of it. Look at look at silver, silver and gold have been held static for 10 years. That's held back. This is you've got this long term upward trajectory. Like Mike Seller says, in the long macro, Bitcoin goes up forever. But you're creating this volatility within that cycle, and you're having all your butt buddies jump in on it. That's what's going on, guys. Um, are these ETFs the reason for the current correlation between the S&P 500 and Bitcoin? I don't think so at all. I don't think so at all. I think that's just general equities purchasing and, and, and monetary um, money following, and I don't think it really is correlated. I don't think I think you could make like you read an article somewhere and I trust me, I was in marketing and sales and I had to do presentations to boards of directors. You give me a spreadsheet and I can make a graph tell you whatever you want me to whatever you want to see. Uh, I think when you really look at it, it's it's not really as correlated as I think wherever you got that information from. Uh, Jolly Green says aquarium heaters to maintain an indoor hydro system located in garage north Texas. It works okay. It works okay. It doesn't work really, really good because you're only heating the bottom and you can end up maybe heating the bottom more than you should. What will work better is going to some sort of indoor mini greenhouse. And then if you heat the water, you're in pretty good shape or you can just heat the space, which is probably easier. And um, I think that that will probably work better for you um, overall. I have done some of that and it did not work out uh, as well as I thought it would. Uh, Sean says, howdy, Jack. How did you get so cool? I don't know, man. I don't think I'm that cool. I just think I'm a dude with a microphone and I'm committed to what I do. And that makes us, if you work hard enough at anything, I'm a proof that even if you're not that cool or not that good, you can be successful. Um, reducing electric costs by switching from electric stove and hot water heater to propane. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um I don't know that your electric stove really costs that much money. Hot water, yeah. Yeah, electric hot water is probably the most expensive way there is to make hot water. I think the big thing there is I have a gas stove, and I don't have gas service, so I have a propane pick. And I have that for two reasons. Power goes out. My stove still works. You know, I might have to, instead of going click, 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 and it lights, I have to, like, light it with a match. I'm not really going to be using the oven in that situation unless I plug my the electronic controls of the stove into a generator, which is easy enough to do. But I have instant, like, I want coffee, power's out, don't even have to turn set the generator up yet. Maybe it's a short-term outage, boom. You know, so I've got, I've got self-sufficient, I've got self-reliance, right, in time. I can run my stove for freaking damn near a year. My stove and my grill off the propane pig. Easy damn near a year. So you got that. Um, the other thing is when it comes to a stove cooking, bro, cooking is the way on gas. Like 
I, you can say whatever you want about induction or whatever. Like if you are a foodie like I am, you want to cook on a gas oven you really, or gas stove. You really do. Uh, start nine in Bitcoin. I don't really know what the question is, but I do want to let you all know something about start nine. They are coming on board in January as a new sponsor of the podcast. Uh, like I said, I will be clearing out some, some older sponsors that I feel like I've done all I can for over the years. Um, and start nine will be one of the replacements. They are going to be doing a series, a content series for us monthly because I'm looking for sponsors that are more partnerships than just pay me to put their banner up and talk about them once a week. I want them to bring something to the table because I think you get more that way and they get that more that way. And I'm not charging more to do that. So they're getting more influence on, and they're going to basically be bringing you maybe every other week, something start nine does why, how to, how to do it and, and, and why you'd want to. And I do have my start nine uh, embassy set up now. And I did set up my lightning node and it said to install Bitcoin core and one other thing and then configure it. And I don't really know how to configure it. And I haven't taken the time to figure that out yet, but uh, I'm pretty excited to be working with them. Uh, but yeah. Joshua says, any comments on Rogan's podcast with Peter McCullough? You missed it, dude. Um, I did. I, I now have that entire video up on my Odyssey channel because YouTube took it down. I think it's awesome. And yeah, we already covered that. So if you want to go back, you can listen to my thoughts on that. Um, for NFTing and smart contracting, the grapevine and wine production, you would tie the vine location with a time-based contract. I don't know if that's a question, but yes. Uh, so what he's talking about is Liquid Vineyards is this new app marketplace that's being developed, and they're, they're contracting with uh, wine vineyards in the United States. And basically, you buy the rights to the production from specific vines. What they're actually doing is they're, they're – when you buy your vines, let's say that I go to uh, to Jacob and I say I want to buy five vines, and I don't directly go there. I just do this in an app. Basically, I order. I want five vines at Jacob's Vineyard uh, Cabernet uh, grapes, and then basically I'm pre-buying the wine. And so Jacob or Jacob's you know employee goes out there to the five vines that I get, and they put an RFID tag on them. And they probably use a little wand that ties into a network that ties into the app that tracks everything through the system because we can do that. And it goes beep, 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 beep. And then Jack Spearco owns those specific vines, not the vines themselves, but the production of them for anywhere between three and 30 years. And a smart contract ties that in. So, yeah, that's that's exactly how that works. Um, next up, recommendations on where to get a good, simple, basic info on crypto. Um, you know, if you go to, I think it's Bitcoin.com, they have an email series called 21 Days of Bitcoin, and every day you get an email that explains Bitcoin to you. And if you understand Bitcoin, you'll be well on your way to understanding crypto in general. Uh, it is a maximalist publication, meaning Bitcoin only, but it, it's it's a really good tutorial. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Dash as a currency, uh, but Dash, the cryptocurrency, has a YouTube channel, and they have a playlist called Dash School. It's a six-part series. The first three are, in crypt are on crypto in general and really apply directly to Bitcoin because Dash is a Bitcoin fork, and then they added features to it. And then the next three videos are full-on Dash propaganda. They're not bad, but they're just why Dash? But the first three videos in that series are very, very good. And just start reading and listening and, and, and checking things out. Um, I keep um, 
CoinGecko News. Let me see. Can I can I do this without messing things up? Share screen. Brave tab. I keep this written open, right? It looks like. Let me see. Yeah, latest crypto news. Okay. So I keep. I use the Brave browser, and I keep this particular page, which I will drop URL into the chat for you. Uh, pinned at the top of my Brave browser, and it's where I stay on top of crypto news. And I also do another one, and that is Coin Market Cap. And I'm not going to bring them up on the screen, but I'll go ahead and I'll I'll drop that into the chat as well. Uh, I keep those, and there's a lot of replication there, but I keep those two um, up in my Brave browser uh, and. Uh, I, I check on them regularly. Humidity issues with indoor hydro. I don't really know if you mean humidity is it's too humid for the plants or humid inside the house. I just haven't had that issue. I think you'd have to have a very large system or be in an area where you have humidity issues already for that to be a problem. Thoughts on asset allocation for a 30-year-old? Buy Bitcoin and put yourself in a coma. No, seriously. Um, I can't directly answer that. But I would say that there are equities, meaning stocks, mutual funds, etc., that have good long-term outlooks in the U.S. economy. The United States is not going to go away, and it should be made up of some of that. I do believe in precious metals as a reserve wealth insurance. I've recommended about 5% of net wealth on that forever, and it hasn't really changed, but I don't do a lot of rebalancing either. Like, so one asset class takes off. I don't do a whole lot of let's throw money back into it. So there's a certain point where you get to where you got to decide personally, I got enough metal, right? And I, I highly recommend that anybody, unless you're going to retire tomorrow, and maybe even then if you're going to have a long-term retirement, include Bitcoin uh, in your asset allocation. As I've said before, I consider all other cryptos, even ones I'm very bullish on, gambling, gambling. Ethereum, I consider gambling. Algo is probably the, the thing I'm most bullish on as, as a, uh, a low cost alt to get involved with. And it's still gambling. I think the, the chain has so much going for it. Um, it's unbelievable. Um, Larry said, did you see the latest South Park in the future? Uh, Butters got rich from NFTs. I didn't see it, but I saw a scene from it, I think, that was on Twitter that like, the Twitterverse went nuts over the Twitter Bitcoin. Um, is the Vine at NFT Mr. Wonderful product? You know, I don't think it is, but doesn't that sound like, for those who don't know who Mr. Wonderful is, um, he's one of the characters on um, Shark Tank. And uh, Kevin O'Leary is his real name. And he is a wine enthusiast. It does seem like something, I don't know. That would be interesting, but I think he's an Ethereum bull, and that's being built on the Algorand platform. But, you know, he also is kind of a reasonable guy. If you can explain to him why something makes more sense, he's going to go that way. Um, how do you keep your polymath mind under control for Ryan? I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, it's part of why I built the Survival Podcast as my life's work. Because if I woke up this morning and I decided, you know what? All that shit I made bullet points on that we talked about today through the week. I don't feel like talking about that today. I have other things I want to talk about. I would have changed it. You wouldn't have known. 
you would have cared, and I can do whatever I want. And that's so if you are a polymath, I think you really need to be building your life your way. See my granddaughter back there, guys, on the video. I see you, Pooh. Anyway, um, yeah, um, I, I, I actually let it run free. Now, there are times when she thinks she's sneaking up on me. There are times mm-hmm. when, Pooh, when, um, when I do have a project that needs to get done and then I discipline myself on a project level. But I never discipline myself on a thought level. Um, I think that's one of the big things that we rob from children who we label as ADD or ADHD or things like that. Mm-hmm. And we put them on medication so they can focus. I don't think a mind like I've developed, and I'm not even sure it's a mind I have more of a mind of like I want to be this way. I don't think it's designed to just focus on a thing. It's designed to Come up with a thing you want a solution for. And as I talk about all the time with mental programming, command that mind to find that solution. And then if you don't have an immediate solution, do something else. So instead of keeping the polymath mind under control, set it free. Um, it's a predator, right? The, the polymath mind is a predator. It is adaptable and it is able to figure out how to not waste time. That's what makes the polymath mind stronger, faster, and more lethal than the focused mind. The focused mind sits on one thing and does that one thing, and if it gets to a point where that one thing can't be advanced for a while, it spends all its energy trying to figure out the next step. The polymath gets to that point and says, I understand there's background processes and my brain is more powerful than the Watson computer at IBM. I get that. I accept that I'm going to go do something else for right now, something interesting, and I'm going to command my brain to keep working on this problem. Any price prediction on the price of Bitcoin after the FDIC backs dollar coin? I, I don't really have any predictions on that at all. None. No idea. Uh, and FDIC won't back a dollar coin. That's not what I'm saying. What they want to do is pull entities like Tether and say you have to charter yourself as a bank and fall under FDIC, just so I'm really clear on that. Um It may have a really big impact on pushing the price up. It won't have a big negative on it. We're moving to a world where I do think you're going to see global dollarization. And at the same time, you're going to see hyper-Bitcoinization. And Bitcoin becomes money and the dollar becomes currency. That's the most likely way. Because when I say, well, who else can do this? Who else can put out a synthetic euro, synthetic pound, whatever, that's actually government-backed because they pull it into the central banking system. So it ends up government-backed, but not government backs it. They come into the system. They come into the fold. And then create hyper, you know, dollarization, global dollarization. Can you do global euro? euro? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think if you ask somebody in Russia or Australia or Brazil, Do you want euros or dollars? They want dollars. Plain and simple, right? So I don't know that anybody else can, and I think somebody's gonna. So when you think somebody's gonna and you don't think somebody else can, you kind of go through and you go down to Occam's Razor, right? Uh, search engine DDG, DuckDuckGo also. Uh, yes, I use DuckDuckGo all the time. I, I don't really know what to do with that comment, though. I don't know. If it was maybe not for me, even though it was all cops. Is it a good idea to buy Bitcoin on PayPal? You can. Uh, my understanding is in the beginning, when PayPal let you buy Bitcoin, 
You couldn't take custody of it. And now you can. That's my understanding. If you can take custody of it, I don't really care where you buy it. This idea of buying Bitcoin anonymously, if you want anonymous, you've got to do other things. Bitcoin is not anonymous, okay? It's pseudonymous, and that's the best you're going to do. And if you're going to buy Bitcoin for fiat, you're going to go through some KYC, know your customer. If PayPal will let you then send the money to your own Trezor or uh, Exodus wallet or Coinami or whatever, then I don't care where you buy it. If you can't take custody, no. And if you want to use PayPal to buy Bitcoin and you want to be able to take custody, Coinbase allows you to use PayPal to pay for Bitcoin on Coinbase and then take custody. So you can you can do that. And that's why I believe people are right when they say that PayPal will let you take custody. And I know what some of you are thinking is, Jack, don't you use PayPal? Why? Yes, I do. Jack, then why don't you just buy some Bitcoin, 25 bucks worth, and see if you can? Because it can't. Why would that be? Because I have a business PayPal account, not a personal PayPal account. Because I'm a merchant and I take payments on my website with PayPal in sufficient volume that if I maintained a personal account, I would have run out my limits and they would have shut me down years ago. So PayPal is one of one of my merchant account providers. And you can't buy, for whatever reason, a business PayPal account is not, does not have access to Bitcoin. I I ran my brain like, how, everybody, you know, where is it? Where is it? And I couldn't find it. And I finally looked it up and... Uh, that's, that's, that's what I found out. I think we're going to wrap up here today. I appreciate everybody who was here. I'm scrolling through massive chat here. Bitcoin on sale, uh, from Hayes. I agree. Bitcoin is on sale right now. Uh, that doesn't mean it won't go any lower. I'm, I'm really careful about using terminology like that, right? Because you tell people Bitcoin's on sale, they go out and they extract $10,000 from some other investment. They buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin at $47,000, and next week Bitcoin's at $41,000. And I'm going to say this. I don't care where Bitcoin is in price, up, down, sideways, left, center, backwards. If you buy Bitcoin and you're really worried about what the price is going to be in two weeks or two months, your mind is not where it needs to be to buy Bitcoin. You shouldn't buy Bitcoin. You're not. I, I think you logistically should. But in the words of Willie Wu, I, I really like the concept of buy Bitcoin and put yourself in a coma. The, the long term, that ship is set. That course is set. That is going to happen. That It is less risky to buy Bitcoin right now than it was to buy Bitcoin when it was $100 or $300. Right. Um, somebody says, Rob says, how do you own data? Do you have, you own data with knowledge? You own data with knowledge of how to access the data. And if you're the only one with knowledge of how to access the data, effectively you own, uh, you own the data. That, that's how you do that. Uh, real quick, one more here. Uh, the hammer says, bad idea to buy rural properties. A first time homeowner can work anywhere with good internet. No, it's not a bad idea. It's a great idea. And there's better deals in rural properties right now than, than suburban properties. So it's an even better idea. There's one risk you have here. And that is you have a job that lets you work anywhere. And you move to a rural property. And you're all happy. And you're going on and on about your life. And for one reason or another, you lose the job. You do a bad job. The company decides to change its mind. The company goes bankrupt. Somebody blows the company up with a nuclear bomb. Whatever happens, you lose your job. 
you're now sitting in a rural area where you have to find a job that replaces the income that you had. And that's not bad, but it's a reality. It's a good one to close on. So that will be the last one, even though there is some more stuff coming in in the chat, right? Because we're at hour 15. I think he grabs things up, spending time with the kids today, guys. Um, you need to do what everybody should do. You need to be building a portfolio that makes you attractive to like kind employers. I, I, I believe that you only have two logical sane ways to go forward if you need income in your life. If you are independently wealthy and you can pay your bills and service your debt and, and, and live till you die and have money at the end to leave to your heirs because of investments or ownership of assets or whatever, then this doesn't apply to you. If, like most of us, you still need a cash flow, and that cash flow is dependent upon something you do, you either become an entrepreneur or you become entrepreneurial-minded. So entrepreneur we won't go into. Entrepreneurial-minded means I'm going to be an employee, and I'm going to think like this. My employer is a contract that I currently have, and I currently have one contract. And if I lose that contract, I don't have a business anymore. I know you're employed, and I know you get some extra benefits by being employed, and there are. There's trade-offs between the two. And so I am going to make sure that since I have a contract that requires that we be exclusive, right? Because that's what you have when you're employed, and you really can't go take another contract. You can't work for somebody else. So I know people have done it. I know one guy lives on one of my favorite places on the planet, Sanibel Island. I won't say his name, but... He has, if you go into his office, he has like a bank of screens here and a bank of screens here and a bank of screens here. And he's actually employed by three separate companies um, in, in cybersecurity. And at any given time, he's monitoring all those screens. I don't know that everybody would be okay if they knew he was doing it for other people at the same time, but he's able to do that. That's that's rare. That's unique. That's very entrepreneurial while being employed. So most of the people that have a job, like, you know, I know like some companies literally monitor keystrokes. And that's not a new technology. When I was the regional manager, I had a rep firm that if a rep wasn't in the field and they were at home and they were supposed to be making calls and whatever, they were able to monitor their keystrokes, their time on in the database, the phone calls they made. They didn't make a phone call by picking the phone up. They triggered calls from within. Basically, it was like ACT. It wasn't ACT, but it was similar to ACT, uh, a customer management uh, software. And uh, so a lot of people are going to be employed. You're going to be kind of monitored that way. So what you need to do is you need to make sure that you're building that portfolio, you're maintaining relationships, and that if you got the call tomorrow, hey, dude, sorry to tell you this, but you're getting two weeks severance and you're done here for whatever reason. Uh, competitor, Because it happened to me, right? Competitor bought my company. I kept my job, but we had 400 and some employees, and at the end of that first quarter after the acquisition went through, there were 12 of us left. So a lot of people lost their jobs, right? So that happens. You know exactly what you would do that first week. So well that that first week you would probably just say, you know, and I'm going to go down to the bar with some of my buddies and have a beer and celebrate this new chapter of my life. And then you're going to initiate a plan. And that plan is going to be, I'm sending resumes to these 10 companies, whether they have a posting or not. I'm calling these 20 contacts and I'm asking them, what they know is available. And I am proactive. I am all, and, and I'm, and you're going to go through about every 90 days 
and you're going to make sure that all of those things still make sense. And when one falls out, you're going to replace it with something else like shark's teeth. Shark teeth falls out, next tooth pops in, right? And if you take that approach, then I think you significantly mitigate that risk. And that's the only risk that I see because the beauty of that approach is I got a remote workplace job. I'm going to buy a rural property. That's, that is beautiful geographic arbitrage. That's gorgeous geography-based arbitrage. I'm going to work for Austin or Atlanta or Jacksonville wages, and I'm going to live in Azle, Texas like Jack does. Like that is, that is a great plan, but you have to have that backup in play. You really do. Anyway, with that, hope you guys enjoyed today the audio version of this podcast, which you can find at thesurvivalpodcast.com or tspc.co. Uh, we'll go out about an hour from now. Uh, Billy Roy says goodbye as well. Thanks to everybody that was here today. This was a fun one, and uh, catch you guys after this weekend. I think this was the last Outback with Jack of the Year. I think. I'm not sure. Why am I not sure? Tuesday, I have Kingsley and Aaron Edwards. They have promised they are coming on, so we know what we're doing Tuesday. Wednesday, I am – guys, I'm tired. I'm ready for a shutdown. I'm, I'm cutting out about a day early. Wednesday, I'm running the Christmas special uh, that I run every year on the Survival Podcast. We tell the real story of, the, of how Christmas came to be in the United States the way that we know it today, which um, is kind of a cool thing. And Monday, I don't know yet. So Monday, I might do this again. I might do this again. What I got on docket today, I got to talk to the people down at Anarchapulco for about a half an hour in the middle of the day. Otherwise, I'm pretty cleared out. And I'm going to write up uh, kind of details on the watch party that we'll be doing at my property uh, for Anarchapulco when I'm presenting virtually that Friday. It's going to be Thursday and Friday in February. Only 20 people get to come. Uh, you can start looking now to see if you want to come. I'll probably put those... I'll probably put that up on sale the first Saturday we come back in January. Anyway, more details to come out today. Merry Christmas to all. Indeed, Mike. I will catch you guys later. There's a road that I remember leading to a special place where the door was always open. A smiling face. There's a picture on the mantle of a boy who looks like me, and it's always the same. There's a stocking with my name and a candle in the window, a flame against the there's a candle in the window It's like God's perfect light Now you don't take a lot of money Oh, to know what riches are Just a candle in the window Oh, and Christmas In your heart Maybe it's just wishful thinking But I can hear the sleigh bells ring 
Almost taste the pie, mama's baking. It's Christmas Eve. There's a candle in the window. There's a flame against the night. There's a candle in the window. It's like God's perfect life. Now it don't take lots of money to know what riches are. Just a candle in the window. It's always nice. 